Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This podcast contains frank discussions about the body, sexuality, and occasionally uses swear words, which may not be appropriate for people under the age of 18. This podcast also uses facts, statistics, and mathematics, which may not be appropriate for liberal arts majors. And this podcast relies on science and reality, which may not be appropriate for evangelicals. Welcome to Fat Chicks on Top. This is your host, Auntie Vice. We're in May, and this May we're featuring all erotic performers and talking about the erotic arts and why they are important. We're kicking off the month with a bang, and we've got Rain Gray on the show. She is an amazing performer, all-around erotic artist. She's a writer. She has an advice column. She does the Dirty Talk podcast. Welcome to the show, Rain. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This has been a long time coming. You and I have been interacting with each other for years on social media. Yeah, and just I went to meet you. You were at Twisted Windows, which for people who haven't been or, or don't know, is uh, it's a performance event that features a lot of rope artists and erotic artists. And you were there and I went to say hi, but you were running out. You had finished. And I know how tiring that is at the end of the night. So I'm like, I'm just going to uh, go. Oh dear. Uh, yes. I, for those who are not aware, um, I am deeply introverted with severe social anxiety to the point that I have actually created a kink class for introverts because I know I'm not the only person like that. I'm really comfortable performing. Performing space is, is effort to me, it feels as natural as breathing. It's all the times in between. I can get very easily peopled. So it's like I'm on stage, I'm doing my my art, doing the performance, and then I am running away back to my house. Uh, and I I kind of suffer a little face blind, blindness. So I'm sure you were there. Like I, it's like Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Uh-huh. Like I know there are humans. I'm like, hello, many humans. I go home now. So that's actually a great place to start because you are not the only erotic performer I'm interviewing this month who is an extreme introvert. Oh, of course not. Oh, oh, I can tell you, I, yes, there's a very valid point about that. How, for, you know, people think of introverts as shy little bookworms and stuff and, you know, somebody who hides in the corner and all of that, but you can't do that as a performer. So how do you make that work? Interesting. Okay, so here's the thing, is that I am an introverted, shy bookworm. What people don't realize is that when you're performing, it's not a conversation, it's a monologue, and you are entirely in control of that moment. You can't be uncomfortable. You can't have social anxiety. You have something to do. You have a purpose. You have a massive dopamine situation, which is happening, and you are in control in that moment. It's very relaxing. It's all the times that I'm not on stage. I do very well on the internet because I can control the pace and flow of communication. There's an edit button like 
I have a reputation to my great surprise. I get a lot of feedback that I seem calm and patient and like thoughtful. And I'm like, I am thoughtful, but I am certainly not calm and patient. I put a lot of work in recognizing my character uh, tendencies. I don't even want to call them defects, but they're stuff that's outside the bell curve. Uh, I do well on the internet and I do well on stage. Uh, and I do well if I have service or a purpose, but if I'm just sitting in a corner twiddling my thumbs or trying to make awkward small talk, it's hell. And people wired like me, there's a lot of us in the kink community. There's a lot of us in the erotic arts community. There's a lot of us in the sex worker community. People, I think, often discount just how much of a creative aspect there is to sex work. It's highly creative. We are artists. We are channeling a lot of energy, and we tend to be awkward, <laughs> introverted. Like It's just I'm speaking from a lot of experience. I don't have a scientific study. Uh, I've also noticed that both in the sex worker community, the performing artist community, and the kink community, there are a lot of neurodivergent people. They're an enormous number of neurodivergent folks in all of those communities. We've had because a- we like rules. It's very clear. There's clear communication, and that's very helpful for our brains. So, is that what drew you to to both performing and to the kink community? Is the way mm-hmm. we communicate? Um, it's a, I think it's a chicken and an egg thing. Like uh-huh. I've 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 always been a performer. Art and the act of creation has always been how I interact with this world. I also have a very high sex drive and I'm very sex positive. Um, so it's hard to say like which one are they not irrevocably tied? Like which one comes first? I've always been a performer and I've always been introverted and I've always uh, not been neurotypical. It seems to be that a lot of people wired like that do get into uh, performing arts and the kink community. Uh, and I I wonder if it's just because it makes more sense to us. There's, there's less, there's such clear communication and clear communication is my jam. I'm neurodivergent. I miss a lot of communication. And what I love about the kink is that it's so specifically laid out. That makes sense to how my brain works, you know? Yeah, no, it makes sense to me, too, because so much of it has been focused around what needs to be included to make those communications happen. What I'm not sure if you find the same thing, but I find as it becomes more popular and as a wider group of people have entered our community, some of those communication standards have changed. Uh, has that been your experience? Hmm, I mean, it- Yes and no, really. Uh, I believe, and of course, this is only my beliefs, who's to say I'm an expert. There is a certain percentage of the human population that has always been wired like this. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. This is how we're wired. And we've never had, we're living in a golden age. If you want to talk gratitude, the golden age is that we have never been more privileged to be able to discuss our wiring, our passion. For most of human history, we would have had to suppress this, live a lie, live in the closet, be stifled, have to continually edit ourselves, spend so much unnecessary energy wearing a fake mask. And we don't have to do that anymore. Uh, it's, it's, 
we have the freedom to explore our honest selves. Yeah, has kink gotten more popular? Well, or is it that finally people that through all of human history would have never been able to explore it finally can? I, I don't know which one it is. Uh, I do know that we're able to have open, honest conversations to a degree we never have before. I do know that there are more people joining. When I first joined FetLife, there was under 60,000 people. Yep. Now there are, what, last I checked, 5 million, 6 yep. million? Like, I mean, that is a growth. I don't think it's it's like more casual people joining. It's just they never had the option before. You used to have to go to the store, uh, get the magazine under the counter, like yep. have them slide it over, scroll in the back, look at someone's ad, write to them. I hope you don't kill me. I hope this doesn't end up with my body in a ditch. Like we have vetting systems. We have communication. We have checks to a degree that we never had before. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily, I've heard, um, I've heard the way you view it mentioned mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that there are a multitude of ways to look at it. And of course, there's always going to be like, oh, kinky, that means I can just smash my genitals against anyone. <laughs> Those people are always going to be there. Yep. But I think the gift that honest, open communication about how we are wired on our sexuality that has been gifted us is uh, something I never take for granted and I'm endlessly grateful for. I totally agree with you that. The, it, what it, we have a period where people who never could have explored this now can, even if it's in a, a quieter sense than, than some of us. And we have those connections because when you were coming in and you had to get the magazines and go to the back pages and meet up, that was a much scarier time and much more oh. limited who could access it. Right. Especially if you were in a small town, that was not right. really available. Not much happening in small towns, no. <laughs> but what I found is at that, I came in the, in that period of the the back page magazine. There was a lot smaller community, so there was more time to develop an understanding of the rules around communication mm -hmm. and the language. Now mm -hmm. with this influx. We have so many people trying to find classes and stuff, but participating before they've kind of got with a faster entry becomes more people not knowing the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, except for the fact that literally none of us can agree with what the rules look like. Like, like you cannot get a, a, a common consensus. If you take kink off the table and just look at it in terms of, say, polyamory, mm -hmm. the thing is you could get five people in a room or five million. No matter what, you're not going to get that five people or the five million to agree on what the rules are. Right. Because they shift from person to person, relationship to relationship, and dynamic to dynamic. Yep. And, and, and most importantly, what I have seen is that nobody thinks it's going – everybody thinks they are the charming exception. Literally mm -hmm. every single person is the hero of their own story. They th The narrative goes around them. And if you can warn someone or say this isn't a safe situation, you're wrong. You're starting drama. It's not going to happen to me. You were just unlucky. They're not like that with me. So we can't agree on rules. And even if you if you make the effort to honestly 
genuinely, legitimately warn someone about a predator, someone who is not safe, someone who assaults, someone who secretly videotapes, someone who rips you off financially, and people will look at you wide-eyed. Well, you're just starting drama. That's not going to happen with me. Uh, that's not That's not true. Yeah, you're exaggerating. Why are you such a drama llama? So uh, I wouldn't say it's the influx. I think it's humans. <laughs> humans. And I, I would agree with you on the fact that we all like to be the hero of our own story. We all think we're really smart. We all think we're the exception. Uh, ah, we all think we're see, not me. Not, no, no, I know. I uh, think I'm. I'm not the hero of my own story. I know that I'm not that smart and I'm not the charming exception. And I've often wondered if it's that, if it's because I'm neurodivergent, mm -hmm. I see how common that is for people to think they're super smart. Like everybody, what does Shakespeare say? There is nothing more common than the desire to be uncommon. It's like, I'm not, I'm not that smart and I'm not that special and I'm not the fucking exception. I'm, I'm not. And I know that about myself, but it seems that a lot of humans don't know that. So I want to get to that realization that most of us are in the middle of that bell curve on most traits. You know, if we're, we're really pretty average in a lot of Yelp. parts of our lives. That's a really hard thing to convince anybody of. Yeah, I've I've learned that and it's shocking to me. I'm a fairly logical, rational person. Here's a bell curve. Most of you are going to be in the middle of that bell curve. Mm -hmm. This isn't this is just math and logic. I'm laying at you like it shouldn't be earth shadowing. I'm in the middle of the bell curve. That's where we hang out. And yet nobody wants to admit they're in the middle of the bell curve. That's a, a fascinating thing for me that I don't have a handle mm -hmm. on. I don't mean to keep going back to being neurodivergent, but I'm just don't, I lack the wiring for that type of ego. I, I, I just don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, I, as a, as a teacher uh, who is not only born polyamorous from like my first waking moment. But when I'm trying to help coach people to struggle past this jealousy and this ego and this possessiveness, what I've learned is that's where I'm not in the bell curve. Mm -hmm. I fall outside of the bell curve in that like I am so naturally wired for polyamory in terms of sharing well, open communication, not having jealousy. I don't have that wiring. And I also don't have the wiring to think I'm this special, exceptional, smart, charming, unusually attractive, like, hero of the world. Like, I don't have that wiring. And it was sh shocking to me to realize that appears to be the default mode, and I'm outside the default with that. But that's one of the key components of my education. And nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> your baby, it's it's not all about you. It's it's not. Like I know you want it to be all about you when children come out of the womb. Mm -hmm. We have to break them like they're little wild animals. It's all about me, but baby, it's not. There's like over seven billion people. The sun does not rise and set on just you. And that's hard outside the kink community, inside the kink community. I have to realize that. Not only have I realized that everybody centers themselves, and they do, but another interesting quirk about humans is not only do we center ourselves in everything and make it about us, we tend to center ourselves negatively. 
Mm-hmm. We tend to think that not only is it all about us, but everyone's against us. People don't like us. They're thinking poorly of us. It's like, baby, that's ego. They're not thinking about you in the first place. You've centered yourself. You think everybody's thinking about you and they're thinking about you negatively. I'm blanking on the on the name of it, but there's actually, it's a specific thing that the human brain does where when we walk away from an interaction with someone, we tend to think the other person disliked us, mm-hmm. the interaction didn't go well, and that they are thinking negatively about us. Like that's what we walk away and it's like, baby, no, no, not like scientifically. No, your brain is doing that to you. I think that I've done a lot of research on it simply because being neurodivergent is like watching the entire world operate off of a rule book where the rules are written in invisible ink and they also appear to change by the week. So I'm like, I'm missing stuff. I'm missing a language that neurotypical people have, so I've devoted a lot of my time and energy in trying to figure out how humans work, because I'm like, I didn't get the guidebook. I wasn't in school that day, but like, I'm doing my best. I want to follow the guidebook because it'll make things easier. So I do a lot of research on humans, which is probably where I ended up becoming an educator. And I think that's about as perfect of description as you can get around neurodivergence. I, um, I worked with my mom uh, to put uh, guidelines together for how to work with teens and young adults who are autistic on dating, because not having that rule book that the rest of us have was, is really hard. And once you can explain what those rules are, all of a sudden you can create these connections. Um, and the way you describe it is the way we approached it. It was like, yeah, you just have to, you have to give them a code to break. And once they understand the new code, then it's easier to function, right? Right. Um, and I, I love that description about it. So how did you find out you were neurodivergent? Because that centering of ourselves, we all tend to think the way we think is the way other people think. And so <laughs> for people who... It was such a shock to me. Oh, but at the same time, like there was this looming thing that affected my entire life. I I have lost track of the buckets of tears. I have cried. What is this thing? Why can't I communicate effectively with other humans? Why do I keep ending up in conflict? Why am I having trouble with relationships, friends, and jobs? I, I don't want to be a bad person. Every single day I wake up and the first thing I do is say to myself, how can I be less of an asshole today than I was yesterday? I relentlessly take my inventory and there is a thing and I didn't know what the thing was. It's not, it's neurodivergent. Uh, I'm autistic. And on top of that, I have ADHD. Woo! (laughs) Uh, And also uh, a a little bit of CPTSD, which means that I have Mm -hmm. a really bad memory. Um, I can't eat with my back to open doors. Um, It's very hard for me to relax. Uh, As an educator and a writer, let me tell you, having a bad memory sucks. Mm -hmm. I can't remember yesterday. Everything is post-it notes. Everything is written down. Everything is scheduling. Like I have to because my brain's like, what happened an hour ago? I don't know. I can't. I had a. Fr- <laughs> I know that you're not supposed to do the self diagnoses, and I right. didn't. I had a friend, and my friend is like, "Oh, dude, you're totally autistic. You realize that?" And I was like, "What?" And they're like, "Also ADHD." And I was like, "What?" And then I went and took some tests, and I'm like, "Oh, 
oh, oh, there it is. That's the, <laughs> that's the thing that I've been dealing with my entire life, and I did not know. And nothing changed, but everything changed. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's oh, that's what it is. You know, it's I'm not going to be able to change how my brain is wired. I have a younger sibling. They are neurotypical. They are not neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you don't, that's just what my brain gave me. I cannot change yeah. the wiring of my brain. In in some ways, I do view it, boy, as it caused a lot of social awkwardness. I can't read cues. Like, I, I do not... Uh, understand people very well, but I am trying. It allows me to hyper-focus obsessively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. people are like, Rain, all you ever do is work. If you love what you do, you're never going to work a day in your life. And I love the fact that my autism has allowed me to hyper-focus. It's like, mm-hmm. I am I, I'm constantly creating something because that's my happy place. And I'm not saying I could have accomplished everything that I have without being neurodivergent, but gosh, it helped. Like yeah. in order to really, when people find me fascinating and they say that they want to get to know me or hang out mm-hmm. with me or get to know me better, I'm like, the only reason that you want to get to know me better is because I'm comfortable being by myself and I'm creating seven days a week. I have an advice column. I have a podcast. I teach classes. I wrote a book over the pandemic, a fiction book. I'm putting together my advice column uh, into an ebook. Like I am on podcasts. I'm on panels. I, I'm doing events. I am always doing or creating something. And that's why you find me interesting is like, I'd like to get to know you better. But if I wasn't comfortable by myself in my own skin, I wouldn't be able to accomplish the things mm-hmm. I have that make people want to get to know me better in the first place. But every time that someone reaches out and it's like, I find what you're doing fascinating, it it's a kind of awkward situation because what they're saying is stop doing the thing that mm-hmm. I find interesting enough that it makes me want to get to know you better and put that aside to interact with me. And you're like, then I can't go do the thing. And the thing is why you want to hang out with me in the first place. And it becomes very awkward. Well, but yes, but you should ignore everyone else, but have time for me. And, and you're it goes like, back I, that centering, right? The centering, the centering. Yes. And I know what it's like because I see people online and I'm like, you're fascinating. You're engaging. You're thrilling. If only we started talking, you and I would be best friends. We have so much in common. And the person on the other side of the equation is like, yeah, that's nice. I have zero interest. I'd have no time in my schedule. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but you don't understand how much we would get along. Like, I know what it's like <laughs> to be on. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I wrote you that awkward letter saying how cool your stuff is. I'll just go away now but people do it to me and you're like there's only 24 hours in the day i'm doing the best i can but the more that you live your true and authentic self mm-hmm. the more it resonates with people and the more people want to be around you and when i talk about how i believe that autism is a little bit of the superpower i don't give a fuck i 
do not care about anybody else's opinions. And I'm so comfortable in my own company. I love my own company. I think I'm a delight. It's so much fun to hang out in my brain. I'm always entertained. I don't watch TV. I just mm -hmm. hang out with me. I think that I'm, I'm, but I had to learn that's not how a lot of people are wired. I was like, oh, that's another thing in the rule book with the invisible ink I didn't know about. Okay, taking notes. I'm learning every day. I'm really into learning. It's my jam. It's so much of what other kink people and performers especially have told me. Oh, it's sure. That, that it's getting, <laughs> because we're not right. that unique. We're not that special. You're not a unique individual snowflake. There's so many people like me. Like when I meet people, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. There's only so many archetypes. Like right. the humans, we're, it's a build a bear thing. Like I recognize <laughs> all of the flavors of me. I am not a special, unique snowflake. I totally know my wiring. And it's very common in the performer kink sex worker community. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> well, and I think what so many people outside of those communities fail to recognize, and you brought this up earlier, is how much creativity mm -hmm. and thought goes into this. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you, you've said in other places, one of the reasons you got into doing all the different lines of work you did is you mm -hmm. set out to experience things. Mm -hmm. But it's not mm -hmm. like you just show up to a set and boom, you get the experience you want. So Talk a little bit about what that creative process looks like and why this really mm. is an art. Oh, thank you. What an excellent question. Uh, so creativity for people that are wired to be creative is it's literally a compulsion. It is a way of interacting and relating to the world and a creative compulsion makes the world make more sense to me. And I, I do it because it helps my skin sit on me easier. And if you don't have that compulsion, like trying to explain it, like I get up in the morning so that I can create. I create seven days a week. It's, it is literally why I get up in the morning is to create and to help people. That, that is the core of my time on this planet is that I am pathologically motivated to create and help people. And sexuality for me is such a huge part of, I've literally always been like this. So I don't know what it's like to not be like this. I, I can't, I, I can't compare. I don't know what it's like. I can imagine what it's like to be in someone else's shoes, but I only have my journey. Mm -hmm. When I was a, um, I had a partner who had a child and the child was around nine years old and they were starting to get a better grasp of what life was like. And they were saying, I just want to be a cute little baby and everyone pays attention to me and I don't have to do anything and I don't want to grow up. And it, like being an adult is so much work and I just want to be like a cute little baby forever and have and be the center of attention and everyone tell me how precious I am. And her parent was saying that's not how it works like we all have to grow up and we all have to do jobs and we we usually don't like the jobs and the child turned to me and looked at me and she said what about you did you always want to be a writer when you were a kid and i was able to look at her and say yes mm -hmm. this is exactly what i always wanted to be and then i went out and did it because it never occurred to me i couldn't what well, why can't 
you do what you want. Yeah. I have completely created a life. Is Am I wealthy? <laughs> no, I am not. Being a creative <laughs> pays diddly squat. <laughs> I would make more money bagging groceries in Safeway. But that's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. I'm doing, I'm living my life exactly how I want. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And I get to do it. Do you want to talk gratitude? How grateful am I? that I get to do this, that I get to live exactly the life I want. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Like it's just, <laughs> it doesn't suck. It, it really, it mm-hmm. really does not. And that I never lose sight of that. I never lose sight of the fact that I was privileged through a random roll of the dice. I had nothing to do with it. I was born in San Francisco. What? (laughs) Like I was born in the right time and the right place at any other point in human history. If I was born female presenting, I would have been stoned to death as a witch long ago. I'm too opinionated. I'm too sex positive. I do not like being told what to do. Like no other time in human history would I get to do what I'm doing now. Like I never lose sight of that for a fact. And it's also like, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, I was born height, weight, proportionate of a body type that society decrees is, yes, we like that. Mm-hmm. That's privilege I did nothing to earn. It's how I was, like, by the genetics. My parents are bean poles. <laughs> they never, neither of them ever broke 140 pounds. And they're, my mother's five foot 11 and my father's six feet tall. Like, I didn't do anything to earn that. Like being born in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. at a time when women are allowed to be sex positive and also in a meat suit that allowed me to explore my kink to a degree. How lucky am I? Like, you can't lose sight of that. Like, I, I I did nothing to earn this privilege for a fact. But, uh... It's nice. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm fucking lucky. When you asked about um uh, exploring kink, mm-hmm. uh, I get a lot of grief from people for the fact that I model. Mm-hmm. And uh it makes me a lightweight, it makes me not real, it makes me not authentic. Uh it, it makes me fake, a fraud. I'm doing it for money. Here's the thing. I knew what I wanted to explore as a kinkster. And what I wanted was to be buried upside down while crucified with a dildo in my pussy, while having my calves cane, while being vibrated, while having a bag over my head and having a breathing tube coming up through the soil where the person on top mm-hmm. was cutting off my air. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I knew that I wanted. Well, the type of stuff I've gotten to explore, you need an EMT on set. Like I've gotten experiences where you need a crew of eight people. And I knew from day one, that is what I wanted to experience. And honestly, that's why I started modeling Mm -hmm. the literal best handlers in the world under the safest conditions that are going to respect and know where there is completely clear communication. There's a checklist going out, uh, going in. There's a checklist going out. Like you could not be 
safer and in better hands and getting the most amazing experiences with the best props and toys than if you're modeling. Like, I'm sorry, there's no way around it. And people give me so much grief that I'm not a real honest, authentic kinkster because I model. And I'm like, I wasn't, I wasn't modeling for the money. Oh, I wasn't modeling to get a name so people would pay attention to me. I'm a fucking pervert. Uh-huh. I was modeling to get the experiences. And because I am lucky enough to be born into a body that was considered model worthy, I get those experiences. What? Okay, if I must, like <laughs> I'm so grateful. And I and and like had I not been born in this meat suit, I would want the experiences just as much. I could be in yeah. a small a small town and be like, I know what I want. Get the tractor, get the empty, <laughs> get the get the cross. I would mm-hmm. need to be buried upside down and you gotta cut off my air while caning me. Oh, I guess that's not gonna happen. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I grew up in Southeast Idaho on a farm. I could see making it happen on some of those places. <laughs> it's it's the crew. It's the, like they had to get a yes. tractor. There was a pulley system off of a tree. Like I'm, yep. I I like it. I like it elaborate because I'm a curious person. Uh, your body is the finest toy you will mm-hmm. ever be given, and most people are afraid to play with it. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> I would rather try something once. And not like it, then be on my deathbed and think of all the things I wish I'd had the courage to try, but it was too late. Like, I would much rather try something and have it not work. Mm-hmm. I'm a very curious person. And so much of my life journey and motivation has been around that curiosity. And that's what make for me, that's part of what makes kink so fun. I get really frustrated with so many people who will take kink 101 classes over and over because they want to know just the basics because kink allows you to design these just elaborate experiences that I, that aren't available anywhere else in the world. And that's one of the reasons I love so much of your work is it's really interesting and like nothing else out there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very curious. Yeah, and it makes it so much fun. I mean, this is not just, you know, putting some flowers on the bed and getting the little fuzzy handcuffs. Like, there's so much more you can do with it. Um, It doesn't, well, but you and I say that from a position of privilege because there are plenty of people where they're like, dude, I'm trying. I've taken the class. (laughs) Like, I can't, I can't. What? Like, if you are creative, you are a creative person, obviously, Mm -hmm. and that's how your brain is wired. And I do feel for people who are like, but I don't know what to do next. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, that's not how their brains are wired. I can't ever stop the next thing. Like, my brain is just like a popcorn machine. Next, 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 next. Hello, ADHD. Next, 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 next. I'm never going to run out of shit. Next, next, next. What? Well, and someone else is like, I, I, I just don't know. I, there's no right or wrong way to do it mm-hmm. to, to hearken back to you saying like, there isn't like, there aren't rules. We can't right. agree on, we can't agree on rules right. because both the blessing and the curse of kink is that it is not universal and it is so differently applied yep. just based on how humans choose to interact with each other. And I find that fascinating. 
I had someone who was a mentee who was determined to master anal and they were going to do it. And they took my class and they got uh-huh. their little plug and they were trying. And I did some coaching sessions with them. And after three or four years, they had made zero progress. Mm-hmm. You have to want it. And if you aren't going to take that next step forward, you're never going to make that progress. Yeah. But I, you know, we're all on different parts of that bell curve and not everybody has, like, I, I don't know what to do next. Right. It's one of the topics that I cover uh, in my femdom class frequently uh, is people are like, but I don't know what to do next. And in cases like that, I literally write a script. My mm-hmm. first femdom scene was an hour and I like three strokes with this. I'm going to say this sentence. I would look in the mirror. I would practice delivering that single sentence. I wrote it down to the stroke for an entire hour session because I didn't want to be in a position where I didn't know what to do next. And someone could say, well, that's not authentic. You've scripted it ahead of time. Those were the training wheels I needed. Mm-hmm. And a, a willingness <laughs> counts for literally everything. Mm-hmm. And what I see a lot is that people want the results without doing the work. Mm-hmm. As an advice columnist, that's all I get. How do I get the results? Well, you got to do the work. No, 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 no. That's not, no, no, no. I don't want to do that part. I want the results. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you, so you got to do the work. Nope. I want the results. Okay. But again, still you got to do the work. Nope. Okay. We're now we're just going in circles. Uh <laughs> You have to be willing to to put in the time and the effort. And that's where people struggle. Yeah. And you, you give me such a beautiful transition here because I was going to say, well, how do you teach people that? So you've gotten into that. How much of it, though, when you teach and when you're working with people who want to delve into this and explore this world, how much of it you think is is providing an outsider's perspective, being neurodivergent of, okay, so I this is how I do it. It gives them a different lens to look through. Do you find that helpful in teaching or do you try to, when you teach, do you try to filter it through as well? This is what I think neurotypical people look like. How does that come into your teaching? Oh, uh, uh, literally not at all. I mean, probably it has to because I'm an autistic person, Mm -hmm. but I don't teach from a neurodivergent or autistic, like with my class Mm -hmm. for introverts, I do focus on that. For me with the teaching, what I've found is that the core of literally all teaching is a single word, communication. That's it. That's, that is all of my many years of teaching, every advice column, everything boiled down to a single word is communication. And communication is the lube that prevents chafing. <laughs> and the more communication you have, the less chafing there is. And a lot of my, my coaching and a lot of my classes is people want to be heard. Everybody wants to be heard. Everyone wants to be listened to, everyone wants to be noticed, and everyone wants their opinions to be be recognized and registered. A lot of it is just, throughout all of my classes, continually, I'm saying this because it's true. I'm not an expert. You don't cherry pick the stuff that I'm saying that applies to you. Just because I say it doesn't mean it's something that's going to work for you, but the glorious part is the journey and the exploration. 
There's no greater gift that you can give yourself than taking the time to sit down and figure out how you work as a person. Mm-hmm. You're stuck with yourself for your entire life. You might as well take the time to get to know yourself. And a lot of people don't. We work a job we don't like. We come home. We watch some bad TV we don't really enjoy. We eat some bad food we know is not good for us. We go to bed. We wake up the next day and we do it all over again. But now we have one day less. Mm-hmm. And the way I look at it is that time is the most precious and valuable currency you will ever be given as a human being. And where you invest it counts for everything. There is not a billion dollars that bought an extra second of time. And every day you wake up with less of it. So where are you going to choose to invest your time? That is the question. That's the question that I ponder all of the time. And that is what I teach in my classes. Um, I don't really teach from a, like, I'm neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. Most of you are probably neurotypical. Let's make that work. Um, I teach from communication, helping people, boundaries, uh, figuring yourself out. And it's like, what a gift of Mm self-care to give to yourself to figure out how you tick. Because (laughs) a lot of people haven't. They haven't sat down with themselves. If you want to talk about the the neurodivergent versus neurotypical, I was forced to sit down and get to know myself because I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> something's not working. Mm-hmm. Hold on just a tick. I had to sit down and get to know myself better. And it was a very valuable gift. And every day I try even harder to get to know myself better because the better I know myself as a human the easier this whole life experience is. And that's one of the things that I try to teach in my classes. Uh, Who knew that I would try and try and save the world through the power of anal sex. (laughs) I think that's the perfect place to end the interview. Thank you so much. So for our listeners, if you, if they want to find you, they want to find your column, your podcast, your books, your upcoming (laughs) advice column book, where do they go? I'm everywhere. Rain de Grey. Uh, I'm Rain de Grey. I at raindegray.com is my website. You can find all the advice columns and the podcasts on there. I am Rain de Grey on Facebook. Oh, it's meta now. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram, uh, Twitter, FetLife, uh, raindegray.com. Um, I also have a newsletter. If you go to my website, you can sign up for my newsletter and stay in touch with all of my doings. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to not see me. I'm everywhere on the internet. That's all I do. Hello, here I am, (laughs) waving the flag. I suppose you can relate. (laughs) I I can, I can. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, this is Auntie Vice from Fat Chicks on Top. I want to take a minute and talk about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles on the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them in a natural human voice. For the first time ever, the entire internet has become listenable all in one place. This is great for accessibility needs as well as people who would rather listen than scroll. Explore trending podcasts from 50 countries. Our podcast, Fat Chicks on Top, is there too. You can download Newsly for free from www.newsly.me and use the promo code FC0T, one month free premium subscription. And now, 
a moment of gratitude. I was, I'm grateful that I was born in the time and place in human history that I was. Uh, I am grateful that I was uh, born to parents who did not give me sexual shame. Uh, I am grateful that even though my body is completely buggered and I'm on 11 surgeries heading towards my 12th, that my body isn't worse because it could always be worse. I am grateful that I get to live my life exactly as honestly and authentically as I want. I am grateful for my supporters and my fans and the people that give me the genuine gift of getting to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm grateful for helping people. Every time I teach a class and I have someone cry in my arms and tell me that I saved their marriage, mm. it, 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 stops time for me for a moment. That's what I'm doing. People forget sex workers are just these dirty, gross little harlots. And I'm like, I'm saving marriages. I lectured at Harvard. Like I am helping people. And that's why I get up in the morning. I'm, I'm grateful every time someone reaches out and tells me the positive effect I had in their life and that I help them be more comfortable in their skin. Hi, this is Auntie Vice from Fat Chicks on Top. If you like Fat Chicks and you are looking for other podcasts with great conversations, you might want to check out Chopping It Up with Ungayo, now on most streaming services. This has been an episode of Fat Chicks on Top. Fat Chicks on Top is produced and hosted by Auntie Vice. Audio production is by A Serious Production. You can find all information about Fat Chicks on Top at fatchicksontop.com and follow Auntie Vice at Auntie Vice on most social media.